Hello, and welcome to Daily Capepi with Carter and Carrie on Unsafe Space. Today, today is, <laughs> Carter's laughing too much. Today is Thursday, January 9th. Yes. Good job, Carrie. January Thank 9th. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't look at it before, but I, I, I got so much better at it over the the previous year and now I'm failing again. Anyway, today's Thursday, January 9th, and we um, are glad you're tuning in. If you are not already subscribed, please subscribe on YouTube. If you have a BitChute, please follow us on BitChute, which is better than YouTube, because you know one day we'll be banned. Um, and you can share our videos, like and subscribe. Uh, if you want to support the channel financially, we have a subscribe star where you can be a cool, unperson and pick your level and uh, what else? What else, Carter? I don't think we should promise that they'll be cool because I certainly can't hand out cool points. But <laughs> you could be an unperson at the very least. You can be an yeah, you can be an unperson. We'll tell you what golden girl you are. <laughs> yeah, I had to look up this B. Arthur thing, Carrie. I don't. <laughs> Carter, you guys, texting with Carter's Carter's really funny, and he said last night that his daughter was like, "You're really funny. Why are you boring on unsafe space?" <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, but after after we had that conversation, Carrie, I realized, so we have a book at home um, that has uh, like all the stages of child de- development and like whenever she gets to another year, we read like, this is your 10-year-old or this is your nine-year-old or whatever it is, right? Um, and I realized 10-year-olds have really bad senses of humor. They think everything is funny, like, like stupid stuff is really funny to them. So uh, I think her perception of me is that I'm hilarious, but actually I'm just not. No, you are hilarious. You call, I laugh on the with you all the time, on on the podcast and off. Anyway, last night Carter, I texted him something about you know, you may have seen him on the old yield Instagrams. Uh, Thank you for being a friend with a picture of the Golden Girls. And he said something like, "I'm glad I could help, but never ever, <laughs> never ever refer to me as a Golden Girl. Compare me to a Golden Girl again." Yeah, it made me laugh so hard. Yeah, I had to like, and then someone was like, he's kind of a, the, uh, the Dorothy character, which I had B. to look Arthur. up. I don't know anything about. You had to look this. up B. Arthur. I know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I part of me should be proud of that, I think. But that's do you, at least you know what the show Golden Girls is. Do you know what the show Maud is? And then there's uh, Maud. I remember the name of a show called Maud, but I don't remember... I probably watched Golden Girls, by the way, like once or twice in my life. Uh, I just don't. I don't know the people. Um, <laughs> I know there's four old ladies. But, oh uh, my gosh! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was fun. So, <clears throat> all right, Carrie, you wanted to talk about something specific today, uh, not the Golden Girls. You wanted. Yeah. You said to me when we were talking about topics. You said you wanted to talk about burning the deadwood again. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. Great. But you're leading this. What do you, what do you mean specifically? What do you want to talk about? Well, for anyone who hasn't watched it, who knew and who's new, a new subscriber a year ago, I looked at the, I listened to part of the video this morning to prepare. So almost, almost exactly a year ago, I think on like January 3rd or 4th or something, when deprogrammed on unsafe space was new, you and I did a an episode called uh, burning the deadwood. And it was one of our more, I would say, not political at all, like personal and philosophical, spiritual, yeah. maybe. Just kind to be of clear, I, I, I like those. I like the, the personal philosophical episodes. I don't know how much everyone else likes them. I don't know if people always want to talk about Trump and Iran and political stuff, but I'd Ugh, rather... so boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trump and Iran. Ugh. Anyway... <laughs> No, I agree with you, Carter. I like those. So have you listened to that one recently? No, I, you know, I don't listen to our old episodes. I just don't have time. So yeah. So I listened to it while I was walking to get a coffee. I didn't listen to the whole thing to remind myself of what we were discussing and where we were at last year, not just as a podcast, but where I was at personally with some stuff and wow, (laughs) what a difference. (laughs) A year makes is what I'm thinking. So yeah, well, I yeah. can think of one piece of deadwood that was burned from your life, which is good. Yeah, well, funny enough, as you know, I kept the ashes around for a year. Or I didn't completely get discard the embers, and now I've 
yeah pretty yeah actually you didn't really burn it you talked about burning the deadwood but like just moved it to a little pot outside (laughs) (laughs) i did move it outside (laughs) yes you moved it outside but you did a really bad job of destroying it you just you just kind of let it fester and it like a vine it kind of weaseled its way and to to bother your house again in some way i think is I don't know if that's the right analogy. So for anyone who's not familiar with this expression, what we're talking about is this idea. And we've heard um, Jordan Peterson talks about burning the deadwood or has talked about it in lectures. Um, and then I, I, Owen Benjamin a year ago or so was talking about it. Um, uh, this idea of burning down the deadwood, like in a forest, some, you know, forests need forest fires. Sometimes they need, some amount of fire to clear out the dead so that new growth can happen. And, or you could also think about it as like pruning a garden. You have to prune your garden so that new things can grow. You have to prune your tree so that new things can grow. And in some ways your life is like that. There, there are relationships and situations and, um, you know, other, other contexts that you might find yourself in that need to die so that something new can grow. And, or maybe as I was talking about this morning with a friend, maybe it's like, um, maybe it's a belief that you have that has to die. A belief in your something, something you believe about yourself or about the world or about someone else or, or whatever. Some, maybe it's a self-limiting belief that you have that has to die or, um, maybe it's an entire ideology that you have that's wrong that has to die, but it it almost it's like it necessitates a death, it necessitates burning deadwood, so that new things come from that. And so, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that again. It's funny that it's happening that I'm thinking about it again a year later. Or maybe not. Maybe it's with I don't know the new year. I don't. I mean, in, I don't know that it's totally. Um a coincidence that you're thinking about it again because um and i know we're joking about like well you didn't actually burn the deadwood you stuck it in a pot outside or whatever but uh that's why it's that's why you're thinking about it again because you didn't burn it um and when you said you want to talk about this topic i was thinking about it and um so maybe we should get a little specific i was thinking about it in the terms of uh people in your life i was thinking of it in terms of like toxic people yes Uh, and sorry sorry what yeah okay yeah i i there's other ways like you gave some good examples of other things that could be deadwood beliefs and that kind of stuff but i was thinking about it in terms of toxic people in your life and just getting rid of them just jettisoning toxic toxic people and how important that is and um you know i was thinking carrie i was like okay she wants to talk about burning the deadwood and um i realized that something that i've seen mostly from women i'm sure that guys do this too but i see this women do this more often is uh they are very reticent to um eject someone from their lives they're like they they feel uh maybe too much empathy or or whatever they have very low bars for the standards like the people that are going to hang around with them and maybe it's equally with guys i don't know i'm just saying that i've in my experience i've seen women who want to hang on to stuff or hang on to people um and they're like, well, they're not so bad because of blah, 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 blah. Or he's still good for this and that and blah, blah, blah. But, and this is after they've realized that there's something massively toxic about someone. And in your case, you, I don't, I won't get into super specifics. And if I do, we can edit it. But uh, in your case, you recognized, I think a year ago, someone who was extremely toxic in your life. You recognized that they were toxic. And yet you didn't want to completely cut them off. You like moved them metaphorically right you move them outside but you're like well i can oh, still be I, friends I, with this person or whatever what yeah well we can just be a little i mean i don't mind being a little more i also literally moved them out of my house right <laughs> but right. but um you know but yes i felt like i should still be friends with this person and or that it's possible that we can be friends even though I had come to the conclusion after a long time. And the weird thing is, Carter, sometimes people know things, at least in my case, I don't know if other people are like me, 
one of my girlfriends is, we were talking about it. Sometimes I know things and, and I forget that I know them. And if I didn't journal and write about it, I would forget. But if I look back through old journal entries, I'm like, wow, like I had that insight four years ago or what, however many years, you know, or right. I knew this about myself 15 years ago. Why am I still be doing this pattern of behavior? Wh whatever the thing is that you forget that you have these insights when you're younger sometimes. And, and at least I have. And, and then I kind of don't pay attention to those things. It's like the uh, it's like that Peterson talks about, like the dragon that can grow in your house, you know, right. and if you're not paying attention to it. So. So, yeah, so I, I knew this deep down, but I didn't know it and I wasn't prepared to do anything about it until funny enough after that Deadwood podcast last year, the episode, you called me and we had like a two hour conversation offline that I don't know if you remember this. I, rem I remember this. Yeah. Very yeah. pivotal. You basically, I consider it an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I was, and then, and then that night I was like, here, watch my podcast from today. And then afterwards I was like, okay, I think it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounds so cruel. But I, know, I was like, do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, anyway, this is just, if this is, if you think this is TMI, cut it out. Um, but, but yes, I did not, I did not sever it completely. I still had like this idea of like, it's enough to remove a toxic person from this one role in your life, but you can still be friends with them. And I just came to the realization very recently that that's not the case. Yeah. And it's you, weird. It's happening an exact year later, but it's like, no, a friend has your best interests at heart. They be mad. They may be mad at you about something, or they may be um, will hurt you sometimes without meaning to. Um, but ultimately, they want to see the best for you. They don't want to hold you back in the muck for company, right? Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. But you can't be friends with so. <sighs> This is actually related to something that you and I talked about the other day. Um, I'm going to relate it to breaking up with people like romantically. Cause, and I told you that I had this issue for a while. Um, uh, and it can probably stem from lots of different childhood things. So we won't get into which one, what childhood traumas I had that gave, gave me this. But whenever I wanted to break up with someone, uh, I would always uh, drag it out really, really long time. And I would feel really guilty about breaking up with someone. And I would feel like I couldn't really just tell them, like, I don't want to be with you. I'd have to, like, construct these things where, like, well, I'm doing it for your benefit or this or that. Like, I, it was like I couldn't – I was, like, afraid to hurt them. And it took it took a therapist to, to point out to me how insanely arrogant that is. The idea that me dumping someone is so devastating to them that they can't go on because I've dumped them is so incredibly arrogant and it's not trusting them to like have their own self, you know, coherent and together and able to like live life without me. It's just, a, it's a complete, it's a really arrogant position to come from. And, um, and I think this relates to the toxic people stuff because a lot of times you'll identify, I've seen people identify someone as toxic in their life. They try and move them to a different role in their life, but they have this idea that like, well, I can't be mean to that person by actually excluding them from my life at all. Like that would be too mean to them. Like that, that's too much. That's too mean. And the truth is like, look, you've got limited days and hours and weeks and months on this planet. Uh, there are 7 billion people on the planet. You have a finite number of hours you can spend with any particular person. When you identify someone who is not freaking awesome, yeah. don't spend time with them anymore. It doesn't right. mean that, it doesn't even mean they're bad. Maybe they're just not awesome for you. Maybe they just don't share your interests or whatever like, but you're They don't help you grow, but maybe they help someone else grow. Right. And you're jettisoning someone from your circles is not a moral condemnation of them even necessarily it could be but it's not even a moral condemnation of them it doesn't mean they're bad it doesn't mean that they don't 
they can't have other circles of friends, you're not judging them even necessarily. You might be if they're actually toxic, but like not spending time with someone, like being selective about who your friends are and who you spend time with, is there's nothing to feel guilty about there. There's no, it's, it's not, you don't owe people your friendship. You're, that's your time. You don't owe people your time. And like, it doesn't make, it doesn't mean you're saying they're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're saying no one should be friends with them. It just means, you know what, for my life, this person doesn't work for whatever reason, or they're not, they don't meet the criteria of that I should spend a significant amount of time with them. Um, but I think I've noticed people have a really hard time doing that. And they like, they really feel like they're passing some sort of horrible moral condemnation on people by ejecting them from their friend circle. Like it's, it's a black and white thinking thing. It's like, well, they're either friends or enemies. It's like, no, they can be persona non gratis. Right. They yeah. can just be like neither friend nor enemy. I've got plenty of people in my life who I wish the best for. I don't see them at all. We're not friends. They're just. And that's how I feel now. I don't feel like this person's an enemy, but I also, it, I just recently realized they're not a friend either. It's just a nothing. Right. And so, and so like you said, life is short and there's a limited amount of time. And so I, I do, I, it's weird. Sometimes I can know something, but I always struggle and stubborn and it takes me the hard way of learning it. I, it's like, I know something to be true and I believe this thing, but I'm going to go ahead and experience it. So I know it to be true through experience. Like that's all right. But that's, that's a waste all. of your time, Carrie. I know, but I don't, I just, I'm just saying, I, I recognize that this about myself, that this is, happens to be sometimes I take like the long way and I take the, I've done this before. I take, I take that Bible verse about, um, about God saying, you know, I will put, I will put my bit in your mouth and my hook in your nose and I will steer you back on the path. I've, I've, I don't know if I mentioned it before on the podcast, but I've thought I've mentioned it before online. Cause that verse really struck me when I was first becoming a Christian a couple years ago. And it stayed with me every year. I think about it when I go through something that I'm like, Oh, Oh, I'm being stubborn again. <laughs> like, right. like if I get too far afield of something and you don't have to be a Christian to understand what I'm talking about here, let's just say you have a path that you know is good for you, or you have like this, um, like Peterson talks about the star that you're orienting yourself towards mm -hmm. like in Pinocchio, right? You've got this North star, whatever that you, 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 you finally, you've taken a while to figure out what that is. And now you figured that out and you're on that course, but then sometimes you can get, I do anyway, get off of it a little bit. Um, and so it's, it's, it's like this, uh, I tend to do, I tend to be the stubborn mule sometimes put it that way. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and I, as an atheist, I'll, I'll, I'll say this as an atheist. Um, but like that, that hook or bridle passage that you're talking about where you mm -hmm. like you put the bit in the mouth and like steers you. Right. Um, that's what you do to dumb animals, right. Who can't <laughs> learn for, <laughs> for smart people, for like humans, you could write it in a book maybe, and they could learn from that. And then they wouldn't have to have that happen to them. I don't know. That's just an idea. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about with the Bible. It's so interesting to me that when I, when I first started becoming a Christian again, I was reading it and I was like, Oh, <laughs> Right. Like I could have just followed this and not had to learn all these things the hard way, but I don't know. That's just been my nature. Hey, look, so. I mean, we all make that mistake. I've certainly learned things, plenty of things the hard way, more things than I wish that I had to learn the hard way. Right. But, uh, there's a, I forget who said this, but it's probably no one famous, but there's a, there's some sort of saying that I'll paraphrase, which is like, um, smart people learn from their mistakes. Like, wise people learn from other people's mistakes, right? Ah. That's, that's what you need to do. You need to learn to learn from other people's mistakes and be like, Oh, this per that didn't work for this person. I'm not even going to try it. Um, well, I hope so. Then that would, if according to that, I would be a smart person because I've learned from my mistakes and I am continually learning from them. I would hope that I could then help wise people <laughs> <laughs> learn from my mistakes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like 
because I've, yeah, anyway. Well, I mean, that's part of the idea of like transmitted wisdom through generations too, is right? Like people write down, these are the trials that, that so-and-so went through. These are the mistakes he or she made. This is what the lesson is. And now just teach your kids that. So hopefully they can learn this lesson without doing the same freaking thing. Um, and in, in the spirit of Jordan, Peterson, right, one of the things that's been lost in our culture is any kind of respect for um, tradition, like the story. And I don't mean tradition, like I don't care about pomp and circumstance type tradition, like stupid rituals and crap and garb. I mean, like, uh, why we do certain things, like traditional values, like why why is it, for example, that we don't... uh, do a lot of drugs and have a lot of sex until we're 40. Like, well, there are some consequences to that, right? And those those aren't good consequences, right? Um, like, why why are there the values that are transmitted culturally? Sometimes there's nuances to them. Sometimes maybe there are things that aren't, you know, they're kind of broad strokes and you have to adjust them for your own life. But there's a reason. That, who else said, uh, I'm quoting a bunch of uh, people that I'm not mentioning today, but there's also this idea that... um. You can't, uh, you can't actually break with tradition until you first understand why the tradition. Like first, you need to understand why the tradition is. Uh, then you can deviate from it. If you're just rebelling without understanding why, you're just an idiot. You're just like, why yeah, would you rebel I, without understanding why first? First, understand why this is what the elders say or that like the tradition is. And then once you understand it, then you can apply your own brain and be like, okay here's the areas where I disagree or why I think it's nuanced or different. And I'm going to rebel against this part. At least no. I'm, I'm trying to look that up because I know where I know what you're talking about. I can't remember who said that, but, but yeah, that you have to know what it is that you're rebelling against. Yeah. I'm full of crappy, poorly worded quotes today by people that I, names I can't remember. (laughs) So I apologize, but maybe someone in the comments will know who that is, but yeah. um, Yeah, that's true. I don't, I, I think, uh, Jordan Peterson is probably coming up a lot in this particular episode because he has, I think in, in some ways, the reason why people were so hungry for what he had to say or has to say is because he's like a stand-in father figure for a lot of people yeah, or absolutely. a stand-in parental figure. So a lot of people didn't learn these lessons that they should have learned from their parents. I didn't. Right. No, I I would uh, say he's, he is, I, I just want to, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't try and obfuscate it and say parental figure. He's specifically a father figure. Um, right. But, but I, well, let me just, well, you say why, and then I'll tell you why I'm saying parental. Uh, well, I'm saying father figure because in the kind of traditional roles, um, and I don't even mean like these are necessarily a society. I actually think there's a lot of biology why these roles exist. Right. Um, the mom tends to be the one who's more protective and um, the, the, that you coddle more. That's why the mom's more involved, like right, obviously from birth, that we have plenty of scientific evidence to know that, that babies need to be with their mother, breastfeeding, having skin to skin contact. Like the mother child bond is very important super early. But by the time kids are seven or so, in fact, I think it was an ancient. Was it Sparta, where if their parents were divorced when they were seven, they just went to live with the dad and like, but before then they were only with their mom, something weird like that. But like, that's kind of about the age where um, the, 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 the mom who's trying to constantly protect and keep the keep kids safe, which is really necessary when they're young, starts to become more uh, of a hindrance as the child develops because the child needs to learn to take risks and be more adventurous and actually deal with some of the harsh realities of life. And that's often when the father figure is involved, right? The father figure is typically the one who's like, you know, the mom's like, oh no, you know, don't let the kid go near that tree. They might fall. And the dad's the one that's like, yeah, so they fall and like, they'll break their arm and they'll learn, you know, whatever, let them climb, let them try, like let things happen. Um, let them get injured. Um, that tends to be, and I view Jordan Peterson as his message is more like personal responsibility and kind of a little bit more strict in, in in the kind of get your crap together, which is less of a mom trait and more of a dad, traditionally more of a dad role. That's why my reasoning. Well, I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with that. I think archetypically or whatever, he's definitely more of a father figure. I'm using parental figure because I also think he feels some of those other more um, 
motherly roles for me anyway. Oh, and also okay. because some people don't have, it's not like, uh, it's not like I didn't have a good dad. I did. Um, it's, it, it, he might be filling a gap that your mother create was created. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So okay. you're basically, I know what's going on right now and we'll just okay. not ask any more questions. I'll just, <laughs> we're just going to leave this here. I don't. Yeah, let's just... Whatever. You know what I'm saying. I, okay. I know why you're saying what you're saying. Let's move on. Continue your point. I'm sorry okay. for getting distracted. Yeah, so let me say parental figure. <laughs> <laughs> so, my point was that <laughs> Jordan Peterson, I think, is acting as a cultural like father figure or parental figure for a lot of people and is teaching lessons that like 12 rules for life. I remember one of the criticisms of that book, uh, cause they, the, the woke karate, the, the SJWs tried to criticize it from all diff in a couple different tactics. One of their tactics was that, well, it's just common sense. It's not saying anything revolutionary. It's like, yeah, it, a lot of it, I guess you would say is common sense. Uh, like surround yourself with people who want the best for you. Right. Like that's one of his rules. Right. Um, but these are things that, People haven't been taught in some, a lot of people haven't been taught. It, it, and, and I don't know if that's a, a function of where we're at as a culture right now, that there's this breakdown of, the, of transferring these values and these basic common sense things. Um, and some of these things you pick up and you know, but then also it, it's like you know them, but you don't know them. Like you, you, when he says it, it's like that resonates because you know it's true on some fundamental level, but you haven't really been living that way. You haven't really been following that rule. And so to see it written out that way, like what he did, I think, was to take these so-called common sense ways of living and he just distill it and show you like in a very easy, you know, 12, I like that he, he like a BuzzFeed list. Here's your 12 rules. <laughs> and then, and then he also got like very deep in it. He pulled, we, you know, one of the reasons I love him is he, he manages he's to pull all these different disciplines together and all of it's like interconnected. Cause he's talking about history and religion and philosophy and biology, all of it. And that's very interesting to me because the way my mind works is not usually compartmentalized. It's more of like, ah, like all that stuff anyway. So, um, I think, I think the reason he's coming up a lot in this conversation about burning the dead wood is because he's imparted, that's one of the, that's one of the rules that he's, you know, that I heard, that I read and that really resonated with me or I didn't read it. Maybe that was one of the ones he talked about, but anyway, that's something he's it talked about. It was probably about. part of the chapter about surrounding yourself with people who have your yeah. best interest in mind. I don't remember, but yeah, something like that. And, and, uh. I don't know where I'm going with that other than that. I understand why it makes sense to me that he's coming up a lot for me in this conversation. Yeah, no, I get it. And, and, um, the, I, I actually didn't love the book as much as you did. It was fine. I don't have, you know, but, um, the social, I think the reason that the woke Arati criticize it, it's, it's weird that you're saying that their criticism was, uh, it's common sense. Yeah. That's the point. What's making Jordan Peterson is not doing stuff that's, he's not inventing new things. That's not his shtick. He actually does do some kind of cool new invention stuff in the field of psychology and psychometrics, but people don't know him for that at all. Um, what he's famous for is not the new developments in things. He is defending traditions that have been torn down and not defended and, and saying, hey, remember these things, society? These are the defenses of these, quote, common sense things that you've all rejected and decided to not pass on to your children. And this is why they're important. That's his whole, that's his whole thing. That's what he does. Yeah. That's it. He, he defends tradition, which again, from the, if you're talking about archetypes, it's like the father, it's like right. that sort of, you know, the masculine, I, um, but yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly, that's, that's why that criticism to me is stupid. It's right. Yeah. Right. Um, it's common sense. Well, it, that's the thing. It was common sense. Now it's just not common. He's trying to like 
bring it back, it's, right? That's a great way of putting it. It's common sense that's not common. <laughs> right. It's common sense that we, or a lot of us, ignore and pretend like we know better. And we, when we certainly, even if we think we know it, we don't live that way. One of the biggest uh, realizations for me in the past few years has been just how often people say they believe something, but they don't behave in that way. Yeah. You know what, Carrie? This you're reminding me of something. Um, it's related. I one of my favorite. I, I say this a lot, so it can't be. I must have a million favorite things. But one of my favorite things that um, Ayn Rand pointed out about um, definitions is she uh, the word value. I always thought of the word value as something like um, that you feel like you want, like you is important to you, right? A value is important to you. And she defined a value as something that you act to gain and or keep. And when I think about it that way, it's like, oh, what your professed values are, are not your values. Your values are the things that you act to gain or keep. Those are your values, no matter what you say your values are. And so uh, it's reminding me of what you're saying there, right? Which is like, it's an active thing. It's an active thing. Yeah. When, when I first started coming out of the SJW ideology, I was, I was really just thinking a lot about how I don't know where I'm going or what my path is. I was still figuring out what I wanted in life. I was figuring out who I was and what I wanted. This is just a couple years ago. But, but the one thing I could think that hold on to that I felt like, okay, this is an easy thing to follow is to try and make sure that my words and my actions reflected what I believe. And right. I've spelled spectacularly a few times in the past year. I mean, come on. It's actually human. a lot harder than it yes. sounds. <laughs> it is a lot harder. And then that sucks because people are like, hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but, but I'm trying. And that's a good rule i think just of I, I i was at a point where i needed some good basic simple common sense rules for life and the more i try to follow those the greater the realization that that how, how just how much of our the way we currently live as a society people don't do that we don't do that we don't we don't, we don't people will be saying one thing and their their actions don't reflect that like on a day they're not consciously thinking about what they say they believe and seeing if it matches up. This is what one of the reasons I like prayer or meditation or whatever, because at the end of the day, you can look over your day and you can on a day to day basis. So you're not losing days, like just all blending together. And you can say, is there anything like, was well, there anything to be grateful for today? Yes. There's usually always. Is there anything that I should ask forgiveness for today that I did, that I could have done better? And that helps you like keep, I mean, some days it's like, yes, there was something huge. And then other days it's like, I don't know, like I think today was pretty good. Like I don't think I strayed too far from my beliefs, you know, but it keeps you in check. So that's why I like prayer for that reason. Yeah, no, I think uh, certainly, um, Rituals that involve checking in with your own psychology and your own performance to your standard are super important. Um, so I, w I would count prayer as one of those rituals and things that remind you of what's important, like what your values are, um, which prayer yeah. also does, right? Because you implicitly you have a set of values aligned with what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I agree. So uh, to get back to the topic, because I know we went a little far afield. Just a little bit. Uh, burning the deadwood. I know we talked about relationships. I also want to talk about, just briefly, in case this helps anyone, habits that you have. And again, this makes me think of Peterson. I knew this was going to be a Peterson-heavy episode. Uh, you know, some one of his lectures, uh, I can't remember which one, but he, he talks about how you know, the, the power of habit and repetition and how you are forming and carving deep neural pathways in your brain with certain habits. Right. So you can see this in something like porn, for example. Uh, I saw a great video. It wasn't a Pearson video. It was some other, I forget who, what, who did it. But there was a video about how 
you know, if you're watching this same type of porn over and over, the neural pathways to pleasure and to orgasm or whatever is it's you're creating this deep canyon there of that's the way that you get off. And then sometimes that's why you see men having trouble in a real uh, or women, I imagine, too, but mostly I've heard about men having trouble in a relationship with a real woman because their neural pathways are keyed into this thing, not to a woman like they're keyed into watching this. Yeah. Not to the physical in real life sensation of being with a person. And so uh, it could be any type of habit, like overeating, you know, coming home every day and and Netflix and chilling to the point of not doing anything productive. You know, Netflix and chilling is cool and I do it. Don't get me wrong. I, there's time for it. I, I think the definition of Netflix and chill has morphed from what you're saying, just to be clear. What do you mean? I think it's code for booty call now. Oh, is it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not what I meant. Uh, (laughs) I know. (laughs) We know that's not what you meant, Carrie. (laughs) Anyway, my point being, if you have bad habits, like uh, eating the wrong foods, um, being slothful every day and not doing what you think you should be doing, um, smoking, I know people, I, I quit smoking and, 2005 and I really empathize with people who are who are trying to quit and um, uh, so anyway for me Peterson talks about like you've got these negative habits and the more you do them the more you reinforce them and the more it becomes and you are strengthening and you are becoming whatever your habits are and whatever you're practicing and so and the same thing with good habits and so you can start to practice good habits and replace the bad ones with good ones and you can become those things, even though at the beginning it seems difficult or how could I ever, you know, if you're not a gym person, it's like, how do I become a gym person? You just go to the gym and you go the next day or you go the every other day or whatever, but you go back. Um, so anyway, for me personally, one of the things that I have needed to give up. Oh, and one last thing. I remember him saying once, you know what is standing in your way from who you want to be and what you want to accomplish. He's like. I can't remember what he said this in a lecture. Somebody's like, you know, right now, as I say this, something is coming into your mind that you could give up that would probably help you. That is a stumbling block for you. And for me, that's been alcohol. So uh, one of the things I did this past year, like in 2019, there were a lot of changes for me. (laughs) And one of those things is that I quit drinking and, uh, I'm still new to it, obviously, like I'm new to being Christian, all these changes, right? But it's one of, there have been so many great things that have happened to me in the past few years, and it's one of the best things. It's one of those great things that's happened to me, and I can already tell that. And um, I, ju- I just want to say it for anyone who's struggling with anything, Especially for me, it was it was a big struggle because it wasn't like I was always saying, well, I'm not an alcoholic or I'm not this or I don't need a drink when I wake up or I don't need, you know, I was had all these reasons for why this I wanted to rationalize. You know, we talk about the elephant and the writer and working right. backwards. I'm trying to rationalize why this isn't a problem. It doesn't matter. This is a problem for me. If it's a problem for me, it doesn't matter what I call it. It's a problem for me. It prevents me from being the person I want to be. It affects my mornings. It affects uh, my energy level. It affects my clarity of mind. There are some people who can drink the amount that I would drink, and it's fine for them. It was not fine for me. And uh, I had to accept that, and I didn't want to accept that. And so I struggled with that for a long time. It's still a struggle, whatever. It's just, it's much easier now than it was at the beginning. And um, I hope it can, I hope it, you know, I hope it's it's something that gets even easier. Um, But, but anyway, I'm just bringing that up because I was under the delusion or I was trying to rationalize for so long that it's not a problem because it's like, it doesn't matter. Don't compare it to other people's problems. Don't compare it to this other. That's a way for you to justify it. If you know that it's a problem, you know that's a problem. There was a a priest. I know I'm rambling a lot, but I'll finish it with this. There was a priest that I heard uh, on YouTube. I listened to just 
all kinds of stuff. Uh, it was uh, a lecture about, maybe it was a lecture or something. It was something about alcoholism. And he was talking about how this guy had called in to this radio show he was doing, like at two in the morning, like a, a, a nighttime radio show, and asked him, you know, well, here's how much I drink, and I don't really think I have a problem, do you? And the priest is like, people who don't have problem a problem with alcohol don't call into a radio show at 2 a.m. asking <laughs> if they have a problem. <laughs> like, you don't say. It does, yeah. So none of that, none of how much you're drinking or how you're none of that matters. The fact that you are struggling with it and you're like, it's like, it, yes, it is a problem. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, you know, um, you're reminding me with your uh, don't compare yourself to other people thing. One of my favorite uh, quotes is an Ernest Hemingway quote, which is, uh, there's nothing uh, noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Um, and oh, I really, okay. I really like that quote. I think it's actually in, um, what's the movie? Kingsman. I think it's actually used in Kingsman as uh, one of the inspirational who's, quotes in Kingsman. But Whose quote is it again? Uh, it's Ernest Hemingway. Um, oh, wow. Also, okay, well, you know what? That goes right back to Peterson. He says in 12 Rules for Life, there's one part where he talks about, it might even be one of the rules. Don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Right. That's why I'm saying like Peterson's actually his whole shtick is the revival of things that we once knew as a culture, mm -hmm. right? These are things that we knew that were common, that were appreciated. And, uh, he's, he's, he's the dad saying these are, this is why this is important kid. Um, right. This is why you should pay attention to this. Um, the other thing uh, I just want to throw out there is, um, there's a professor at Stanford. I think his name is BJ Fogg. He's got, um, you go to tinyhabits.com. By the way, this is we don't never get paid for anything, so this isn't promotional. I just I've used it before. Um, he has a a whole method for how to instill. If you want to like, you want a habit that you don't have. Um, he's spent like twenty years researching like how to build habits. Um, and there used to be I don't know if this is still true, but there used to be a free email list that you could you could join where like you would say what your things your goals are and like every day they would like email you back for free um and like check in with you i forget exactly what they did it's been a while since i used it but um okay. but yeah um so that's kind of cool yeah check that check that resource out if if uh, anyone wants to develop new habits but the the idea behind it was um making baby steps was really 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 important and reinforcing those with like you kind of treating yourself like you're a pet so there's like positive reinforcement for things. So it's like, I remember the exercise one was like, you would, uh, for like a few days, you would just set your alarm to get out of bed at the time you wanted to for, for your exercise. Let's say you want to exercise in the morning, right? So you would like set your alarm to get out of bed and literally all you had to do was like get up and go back, then you could go back to bed and like pat yourself on the back, like great. <laughs> Like you did that. That's awesome. Right. And then like you would expand it, be like, okay, now you have to get up and put your gym clothes on. Uh, and then you can go back to bed if you want to. And like, then it's like, okay, now you have to get up, put your gym clothes on and like do one push up. Then you can go back to bed if you want to. And like, I've been like, it's like slowly builds these neural pathways through like little tiny changes in your behavior. Cause big changes are actually really hard to do. Um, they're kind of complex. And so it would like, you kind of very slowly steer the ship in the direction you want to go. <laughs> But you're, you're making me laugh because <laughs> I love the movie. What about Bill? What about Bob with Bill Murray? Do you know what I'm talking about? I never saw that movie. Oh my gosh, Carter. <laughs> okay. So I know no golden girls. No. What about <laughs> Bob? I just, I'm totally, you have to watch it tonight or this week. He, <laughs> he basically, he, he's a guy who has a lot of problems who becomes obsessed with his new therapist and attached to his new therapist, and his therapist has a book called Baby Steps. <laughs> 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 and there's so many funny scenes in it, it's so good, but I have a, yeah, anyway, I have some personal funny just things about doing baby steps, and yeah, in my life, yes, I need, I baby steps help. It's too hard sometimes to look at the big thing. Although at the same time, I tend to be a person, I don't know if other people are like this, I may be taking baby steps in that one particular thing, but I like to make big changes altogether. 
It's like, you know, yeah. if I'm doing this change, I'm doing this other change. Because sometimes you have to replace whatever that bad habit is with a good habit. Because if you don't, you're going to have a bad habit, replace it. That'll happen. Yeah, I know so, what they say with smoking is you have to replace the, the, the response to the trigger. There's like a thing that triggers your smoking habit. And you need to figure out what that trigger is. And then you need to figure out a different good habit that you do in response to that trigger. So that you're not trying to like... Uh, resist through the trigger. Like the trigger still happens. You still get triggered, but it triggers you to do something good instead of smoking. That's my understanding. I never smoked. Do you know how I quit? Uh, No. So 2005, I went to a hypnotherapist and I had been smoking for about nine years and I tried everything and I quit smoking on the patch or the, the gum and all that stuff. But like physically you can kick an addiction, but psychologically all those neural pathways are there, right? Where right. you get a trigger and you're like, boom, it, I need that or screw it. I need that thing. And then, so I always, I continued smoking. None of those things worked. Um, and I did stupid stuff too. Like I would say, well, I'm only going to smoke when I drink. And so then I started drinking more. <laughs> <laughs> So I can have cigarettes. <laughs> That's what I mean about a habit replacing another ha- a bad habit replacing another habit. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Shut up, Carter. <laughs> like, wait, I'll tell you something really awful. This is when I was really young, though. But yeah, I was like, okay, one time I'm like, okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to hide cigarettes around the house when I'm drunk. And so I can only smoke them when I find them. (laughs) (laughs) And then then you can imagine cut to me tearing the house apart, (laughs) looking for cigarettes. Like, where is it? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Audience, I had no idea Carrie was this dysfunctional. Uh. <laughs> look, look, this, this was a long time ago. It was probably like the year, in the year 2001 or something. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, it's been like 20 years ago, Carter. Anyway, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but here's how I quit. Here's how I really quit. I When I really, when I wanted to, you have to want to. That I, People discount this sometimes, but... You, you can't help someone quit a bad habit until they're ready to do it. And um, when you're ready, seize on that because you know as well as anyone that in a few days you may not be ready. <laughs> when you're ready, seize on it. And so when I was ready, one of those times when I was ready, because it happened several times, when I was ready, I tried a hypnotherapist. And there were, she told me to have my last cigarette before I came up for my first session. And I'm like, yeah, right. My last cigarette, you know, I have a cigarette. I go up. She makes me throw the rest of the pack away. That really was my last cigarette for like <laughs> over 10 years. I've since had one or two in ever since 2005. I've only had those one or two. And that was kind of tempting fate. No, I've had I've had a few more than that. But that one. Well, there was that pack a day that I have. Yeah, but other than no that, pack a day, though. there's no pack a day. <laughs> and for at least 10 years, I didn't smoke at all. And so, anyway, um, the way that I quit was that she she did hip, she did hypnosis, yes, and we did three sessions, and she did hypnosis, but she also did like you're saying, she taught me how to replace all of my triggers with new things, and I thought this was so helpful. So for anybody that it helps, um, she she made me pick uh, like write down and write down every time I had a cigarette during the day and why I had it. So it was like okay first cigarette of the day I have because it's my morning cigarette, you know, and then my, I have a cigarette when I'm in the truck because I have a cigarette when I'm in the truck. And then I have a cigarette after, uh, when I get to work for a break, right? Cause I need a break. And then I have a cigarette after lunch cause you have a cigarette after you eat and like all the reasons why you have it. And so right. these are like rituals. And so she was like, you just have to replace these rituals with healthier rituals and you need to do something uh, preferably that you haven't done before. So it's new. So for example, she's like, do you, 
do you drink shakes in the morning? Do you ever have a shake? I'm like, no. She's like, okay, so when you get up in the morning, you are going to have a shake because that's your morning ritual. You are waking up, you're having a shake because that's what you do in the morning, you have a shake. So when you're in your truck, do you ever listen to books on tape? And at the time I didn't, I'm like, no. She's like, okay, you're going to listen to books on, books on tape because when you're in your truck, you listen to books on tape. That's what you do. Um, and, and we went through and we replaced each thing with something. And we replaced, we replaced like my after lunch cigarette with sparkling water. Cause I didn't used to drink sparkling water, like just little things like that. It does. They don't all have to be oral. Like the, the listening to books on tape wasn't, you know? Right. Well, it but, was oral. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this is why only 10 year olds like my humor, but then it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, that helped. And that really did. Like I, that's, that's the way you replace a bad habit with a good habit. So Sometimes I think it might look like a lot to someone from the outside if they see like, oh, uh, you're quitting drinking and you're also starting kickboxing or whatever the thing is that you choose to do. Well, yeah, because I want to replace that habit with a good habit. And, you know, those are, those may seem like two big, why two big changes at the same time? Well, because they go hand in hand. In right, they're ways. related to each other. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a long episode. Sorry. Yeah, it's a long episode, but it's fine. It was kind of meandering, but um, I think it was. It, I think it was good. I like that it was personal, and I like talking about. Um, I actually really like talking about personal growth and development. Um, it's just, you know, I'm not a therapist. I don't like we. It's not like I don't. I don't know how much I want. You know, how much we're going to talk about personal growth and development on the show between the two of us. I don't know, but I do like talking about it. Um, and and learning about it so yeah i think it's good when are we going to talk about your massive gambling habit i'm joking carter doesn't have a gambling habit <laughs> <laughs> we will talk about my massive gambling habit when <laughs> you stop hooking <laughs> uh, i want to talk about your problems <laughs> I'm, I'm old i've i've vanquished a lot of those i do have problems but i vanquished all of those my actually you know i will say this carrie um, my problem has been, uh, food, uh, generally like, um, I grew up drinking soda for every meal. Can you believe that's what my parents like soda, wow. soda for every meal yeah. kid, drink your Coke. Um, and, uh, and lots of carbs and I'm like totally a carb addict. I freaking love car. I could live on bread and pizza. Like I'm totally uh, a carb addict. And, um, you know, a few months ago, I tried the carnivore diet. Uh, I loved the results. I fell out of it for uh, the holidays, basically. I didn't gain as much weight as I thought I would. But it's not, for me, it's not about losing weight or gaining weight. It's just about feeling healthy and being healthy. Um, so I'm back into the carnivore mode. Um, I'm back being a carnivore. Um, so that's tough a little bit because, like yesterday, we went out, I took my daughter out for ice cream and I like sat there. Ice cream is like my favorite sweet, right? And I like sat there watching her eat this cone that was like, she's like, ah, she's got it on her face and ripping. And I'm just like, ah, I kind of like, can I lick your chin? Like, I, was just like, <laughs> I just, I really wanted to like have, just give me something. I just want something. But <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but you know, we all have, we all have things where areas we're trying to improve and, um, you know, I just, I'm not a gambler though. Sorry. Yeah. You don't have some secret like gambling or what? I don't know. No. Anyway. No. Um, well, the food. No drug I habits. No, 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 no gambling. Uh, I, I had my youth. I had my youthful discretions. You know, I think yeah. as we've said on the show before, we've talked about some of my past, but none, none of that stuff. And I, I have uh, done drugs before, but not a lot. So mm -hmm. that was never an issue. And I, and I don't drink as much as I used to, but drinking like you and i have talked about drinking like it's not a it's never been like a thing for me so it doesn't matter too much i maybe sometimes miss wine some red wine with my steak but you know the other thing i'll say about um actually i don't know if this is true for everything like it's probably not true for like i i, I don't know I, I don't know if it's true for people who are trying to quit alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or something but generally i've found this to be true um i tend to have like a I tend to be a perfectionist or at least I was, I've gotten over a lot of it, but I have this perfectionist mindset. And so like, if I fall off the wagon on something, I tend to be like, well, that's over. Might as well just, uh, 
like, yeah. I guess I screwed up. I might as well just, you know, have another tub of ice cream or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, it's that, it's that idea that, uh, perfect is the enemy of the good, right? There's this idea of like, I, I'm now just kind of thinking of myself as like, oh, I'm a carnivore. It doesn't mean that I don't sometimes like, I might slip up sometimes or I might snack on something. I might have something that's not meat, but, uh, it doesn't. I don't have to like let that thing define me and say, well, I've fallen off the wagon. Being a carnivore doesn't mean I can never ever have anything else. If I ever have anything else, I'm no longer a carnivore and I've failed. It's like, no, like, and especially, especially I've found this with work, working out, like you miss a few days again. It's like, well, I guess I, like it just, yeah, I'm not working out anymore. I guess I'm a, you know, I'm a lazy, you know, bum. Cause I stopped working out. It's like, no, you missed a few days. Just go back and you're still someone who works out regularly. That's okay. Right. Right. It's like, be gentle with yourself, I guess. I, I, that resonates with me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist too. We're, you and I are so different in some ways and, but very similar in other ways. Like I, same thing. I, I actually, you reminded me of a study about, uh, it's been a while since I read this. So it's been a few years since I read this, but it, it was basically about how high IQ children are sometimes can become low achievers or develop a low self-esteem because they're used to being praised at an early age for how smart they are, not for how hard they work. And right. because certain things come easily to them, uh, they start, so they can start to think that if it doesn't come easily, then I should just quit it. And so they don't, like you said, the perfectionist thing, if they, if they're not a perfect immediately, then it's like, well, I'm not going to pursue this. Yep. Because it's not like the it's not like the IQ or whatever that comes naturally to them. I assume maybe it's the same people who are talented in sports or music or art or something too. That that, that comes naturally to you and then maybe you have maybe that makes you susceptible to thinking, well, I can't do these other things because I'm not just naturally um you know gifted in that area. Yeah, absolutely. Like failing and like learning to fail and being challenged beyond your capabilities is super important, especially for kids. Um, and uh, so that so that you don't come across sounding like the arrogant one, even though we've both had this conversation together, I'll come across sounding like the arrogant one. That was totally my experience in school, like all through elementary school and up through high school. I did nothing and got excellent grades. I didn't have to do anything. It was easy peasy. Like, that's not arrogant stupid. that's the truth yeah i'm just i don't like yeah it was super easy and but that hurt me later because then when i went on to college and started doing harder things it was like oh yep this is too yep. much work like oh. and like i kind of i kind of just gave up in many ways where on, on things that i shouldn't have given up on because i wasn't used to pushing through and working because i was never challenged and i know you had a similar experience so. absolutely yeah yeah. This has been a fun conversation, Carter. It is a fun it is a fun conversation. Um This is more like the talks we have privately. I you know what actually I don't wanna like this is a weird thing to say in front of our audience, but I like the talks we have privately better than our shows almost all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they're more personal. They're more real. Yeah, I they're mean, more real that, not, and like I feel like we, we actually get to like really interesting topics and talk about them, but because we can talk about personal stuff, we're here we kinda we're trying to like have this more bland appeal and not get into like skeletons in everyone's closets. Right. Yeah. It's not that we're not real on the podcast. It's not what I meant. It's just that, yes, we we limit ourselves to not being so overly like, you know, and this is what's happening in my personal life. Right. Anyway. Right. And how it relates, but you know, sharing those things sometimes that's how, that's how pe that's how I learn from people. Like you said, learning or, or being wise and learning from other people sometimes it's easier to make a connection when you make it personal because then people can see themselves in that more easily instead of just talking about when people do this thing instead of right. when I do this thing. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should loosen up and just get more personal on the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you happy first. new year, 2020. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting year. Ah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thank you everyone for watching. Uh, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Um, support us on Subscribestar. You can go to subscribestar.com. It's probably slash unsafe space, but something like that. Find us 
on Safe Space on Subscribestar. And, uh, you know, please support the show so we can start growing and make it bigger. Carrie mentioned the other day we kind of stagnated at, I don't know, 2,200 or somewhere, not quite 2,200 subscribers on YouTube, um, which is great. We got there quickly, kind of stagnated probably because we took a few weeks off and actually we were kind of burnt out before then. Um, but would like to re-energize that and let's let's hit 10K this year. So uh, we'll, we can do that with your help. So please don't forget to uh, do all those things. Carrie, anything else you want to add? No? Uh no, I'm just grateful for people watching and sharing the show and uh, listening to us even when we do personal episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, book club, February, book club's coming up. Go to unsafespace.com and look at the book club page for information. Did I put it up there yet? Oh, maybe you didn't. Go to Facebook to the Unsafe Space book club group. <laughs> Carter will put up the information on the website today also. Cool. It's, it's Fahrenheit 451 is the book. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a good day. Bye.